Welcome to today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and I'm delighted to have you with me on today's show, where it's Friday, I'm back from vacation, and we're going to talk about UFC 214. It's time to preview the biggest UFC pay-per-view of the summer. Anaheim, California it takes place tomorrow, and I'm bringing back onto the show MMA writer for SI and fan site at Jose Young to discuss all the action at this pay-per-view. Jones Cormier 2, John Bones Jones returns to the octagon after suspension a year outside of it. Can he regain his title? Tyron Woodley and Damian Maya in a welterweight title fight. This pay-per-view also has Christine Justino, the Cyborg, Robbie Lawler versus Dan- Donald Cowboy Cerrone, and a lot of other good fights that we're going to break down. And afterwards, I'm going to share some thoughts on uh, the Kyrie Irving situation. But here's Jose Young's now. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Feel good Friday. Let's go. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, reoccurring guest, friend of the program, getting ready to talk UFC MMA. As always, it's Jose Young's SI, fan-sided writer, UFC 214, this weekend, Anaheim, California. Jose, welcome back, I guess I'd say, to uh, the greater Los Angeles area. It's good to be back, my friend. I I missed the weather, and the people did not miss the traffic. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, the, the traffic, it, it it's always there, you know, even when you when you take some time away from the city, you come back and you see just how bad it is. Um, but on a serious note, Jose, just wanted to uh, say, uh, you know, it, it sucks what happened to you guys, you and your fellow MMA writers with the, uh, the incident, you know, having your stuff robbed from you guys. So um, it's unfortunate that that had to happen on such a big weekend with a big pay-per-view, a big fight card coming up. Yeah, it sucks. We lost all it. We got all our stuff stolen, all of our camera equipment and gear. But uh, on a positive note, a lot of MMA writers and fans have reached out and offered support and help. And so, yeah, we lost all our equipment, but not soon after. Uh, a lot of people are basically coming to us saying, hey, we have a laptop if you want it. We got some cameras if you want it. So not all was lost. It's more of an annoyance at this point. Yeah, I guess that is a silver lining. You see everybody reaching out. I noticed that as well um, and uh, helping you guys through it. It could have been worse. Luckily, no one was hurt. And uh, we'll just do our best on this show to look forward to UFC 214, the party of the summer. Jose, we've been waiting for this one. And, and I got to ask you, as somebody that, that knows it all, that has seen just about every fight card there is that the UFC has offered and other promotions as well, where do you rank this one, just looking at it, just on paper? Where do you think uh, on paper this is fight card? Race? On paper, this is the best. On paper, this is the best fight card of the year for sure. Uh, it's the first big event of the year, I would say. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries. Two hundred nine was supposed to be really good. Two thirteen was obviously supposed to be exceptionally good, and that fell that fell apart. UFC two eleven in Dallas was obviously a big one with the the two title fights, and the undercard was great. But this one with John Jones and DC, which you can make an argument are the one and two pound for pound fighters in the world. Doesn't get much better than that in terms of just athletics and martial arts, and add to the fact that these two people hate each other more than anything. And yeah. uh, this is a, this is the biggest storyline of the summer for sure. 
Yeah, I think the, the formula, the unofficial formula that I look at is the uh, the main event has to be something that's just badass that you look at, and I think this clearly has it. You have star power, name recognition on the main fight card, but also, Jose, maybe one of the biggest indicators is, is looking at the undercard, looking at the TV fights, and if you see some big fighters on there, that's usually a telltale sign that this is a pretty stacked card, and I think that's what we have at 214. Yeah, and not to mention that uh, the, the featured prelim was supposed to be Ricardo Lamas and the Korean Zombie, which I would pay no. for as a pay-per-view right there. Yeah, I'll pay to watch the Korean Zombie that. anytime. I absolutely was. And then Korean Zombie falls out, seems like all is lost, and then Brandon Knight, who is basically the white zombie, fights like the Korean Zombie. He's just he's a good old boy, uh, has three straight bo- post-fight bonuses, kind of talks with the twang, has like a very southern... Uh, just a real exciting guy to watch, pretty young, up-and-coming guy, and Carl Lamas, obviously the veteran. So if that's one prelim fight I'm excited for, it's definitely that one. That should be a good fight. I'm excited to see Sterling fight Breo as well. I've been yeah, looking forward to seeing one. him fight. He's, you know, he's a guy that I think has a ton of potential. He's, I don't know that he's put it all together. Number seven right now in the Bantamweight rankings. That just seems a little low for him. Yeah, and he's, had, he's stumbled, but he's stumbled against like top five fighters. And this fight was supposed to be bantamweight, but Henan Barrow couldn't make the 135 mark. So now this is a 140-pound catchweight. So Alzermain's taking this. He doesn't have to take it, but uh, he, he, he wants to keep fighting, so he wants to stay on the card. And if this was bantamweight, this would obviously be beneficial if he won, but this is a high-risk, low-reward feeling right now, especially since Henan has looked worse for wear as of late. So I'm curious to see what Alzermain does. And at, at, the, at the media day today, they had hands down have the most intense stare down uh they got real close they were jawing at each other uh said i finished you in two rounds before they walked away so if people weren't excited for it now uh, after that stare down i think people are going to talk most intense stare down on a card with cormier and jones on it that's uh, exactly (laughs) that's something well anything else before we move to the main card jose that's got your eye about the preliminary card on fxx or the or even the uh the ufc fight pass card I'm a big fan of Brian Ortega. He is one of the lesser-known fighters in the, the featherweight division uh, from Southern California, represents this, this area really well, has always thrown up the L.A. sign, speaks fluent Spanish, very well-spoken, nice guy, surfer, exceptional jiu-jitsu and uh, exceptional jiu-jitsu game, one of the best in the division, can submit pretty much anyone. And he actually knocked out Clay Guida at UFC 199, which was at the form with a flying knee. And that kind of put him on the map, and then he hurt his knee and was out, has been out for the last year. And this is his first fight in more than 12 months, pretty much. So he was on the highest of highs and was expected to crack the top 10 after, that, after a few more wins, and he kind of faltered. So this is his first fight back. So I'm a huge Brian Ortega fan, so I'm obviously tuning into that one. And if people don't know him, you go look at his highlights. He has some of the best stuff out there. This, so this could be a coming out party for him. That could this be, uh... should, yeah, this... This, his knee injury was a delay in my mind. Like He should be top 10 now, and if he wins this fight on Saturday, then, then he'll be top 10 for sure. But this, his knee injury was just a bump in the road. Okay. All right. Well, hey, that's something to look forward to. Uh, and I think, you know, look, I mean, we tell people all the time to, turn, to tune into the fights as early as possible. I mean, this is going to be a big one. It's out in Anaheim, California. We should start now talking the main card, Money Mitch Effect, Jose Youngs, and we're we're ready to uh, to get going there. I want to go out of order first, Jose, if you'll let me. For sure. Because I think there's one fight that needs it just do, and I don't want to crunch it in, and that's a welterweight showdown 
not the title <laughs> fight, but Robbie Lawler and the Cowboy Donald Cerrone. We've been looking forward to this fight for quite some time. I, I don't know that uh, we wanted them to rush back into the octagon after uh, some of the previous fights these guys have had, but Cerrone and Lawler, a lot riding here. Lawler lost to Tyron Woodley in one of the most vicious KOs that I've seen a, a year ago. And he gets the cowboy who, you know, coincidentally has been going through some similar losses like that. Masvidal's TKO of him in January was pretty brutal as well. So these two guys both looking to get back on track. Big name UFC star power in a surprisingly stacked welterweight division. What do you like about this fight? Who do you think has the edge, Jose? I think Robbie Lawler has the edge simply because historically Donald Cerrone doesn't show, doesn't perform well against Southpaws. I mean, he's put on these seven, eight-point win streaks, and then he'll he'll tangle with the southpaw and he'll lose. So I believe his last few losses have been against southpaw. So Robbie Lawler is is obviously a southpaw. He's a former welterweight champion, one of the definition of fan favorite. Uh, did get knocked down against Tyron Woodley a year ago, um, and before that he had that five-round slugfest against Carlos Condit, which a lot of people think Condit won. Before that he had that fight of the year uh, against Rory McDonald, which, in my opinion, is the greatest UFC fight of all time. And then before that, he had those back-to-back title fights against Johnny Hendricks, both fight of the year candidates, too. So you've got to wonder if time is catching up to Robbie, if all those wars are finally catching up. And these two are supposed to play at UFC 205 uh, at Madison Square Garden in November 2015. That was the Conor McGregor-Eddie Alvarez fight card. But Robbie Lawler pulled out. He wanted more time to heal his brain and heal his body after all those wars, and especially after that knockout, and obviously QFC and Donald Cerrone said, like, take all the time you need. We'd rather have you 100%. And then they were rebooked for USC 213, which was supposed to be earlier this month, and <laughs> Donald Cerrone had a blood infection, which pulled him out of the fight, and if Donald Cerrone pulls out a fight, you know it's serious, and they re- the, to the USC's credit, they rebooked it for a few weeks later, so you got to wonder how serious it was, especially because Donald Cerrone's not one that'll ever pull out, but uh, this and a lot of other writers are saying this. Like we don't know what to make of the winner. Like where does the winner go from this? You, I don't know if you give the winner a title shot right away. I guess depending on the faster of the victory. But with John Jones and Daniel Cormier dominating the headlines with their with their trash talk and Connor and Floyd dominating the, the headlines with their world tour, this just seems to be an old school get in there and fight. And the fans are excited for that. Like these two guys have respect for each other. They're not they're not dicks to each other. Uh, they just want to get in there and throw down, and that's what we're going to get. And it's just an old-school-fashioned fan favorite versus fan favorite. May the best man win. Man, we're doing so good keeping McGregor Mayweather off the show. but I'm <laughs> no, sorry. I, <laughs> I, I, had, I had to slick that in there. It's all right. It's all right. Um, I agree with you, though. I, I think Lawler's a warrior. I mean, both these guys are really warriors, but I, I would say Cerrone has the advantage, uh, although anytime a guy yeah. gets knocked out, uh, the way he did against Woodley, you never know if he's going to be the same. And Lawler, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, 35 years old, it's hard to believe he's been around this long and still fighting at a high level, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think Cerrone might take this one. I, I feel like you're leaning that way, but uh, I think it could be a good fight for the fans as well. I think this is the, the, the short list for fight of the year right now. If you would have told me Robbie Lawler and Donald Cerrone are going to be fighting, I would have said, well, that's probably top five fights of the year so hopefully it turns out like that all right well we'll have to see what happens there all right light heavyweight fight the actual first fight on the main card jim manua and vulcan esdemir a light heavyweight fight and 
I know you're intrigued to see Manawa, especially Jose, because this is a fight with some serious potential to it. Manawa, who's coming into this fight, he had, he had, I should say, started out his career 14 and 0. Gustafson got him. He lost to Anthony Johnson. Those are the only two losses on his mixed martial arts career, and those are two premier uh, light heavyweights. But you got Esmer too, who's KG as well. Swiss uh, coming into this fight, just 27 years old. I don't know much about him. I'll be the first to admit that. But uh, you know, 14 and one as well on the career. Is this guy Esmer for real, or do you think Manawa can uh, assert himself in the light heavyweight title picture with the win here? This is a weird fight because the only reason Jimmy Manawa is on this card is because they tried to make this fight against Cormier and John Jones for UFC 197. DC falls out, and Ovin St. Bruce steps up to fight John Jones. And then they tried to rebook it for USC 200, and obviously Jones pops for his anti-doping violation, and they pulled him. And Jimmy Manoa, after Daniel Cormier and John Jones, Jimmy Manoa is probably next in line for a title shot. So they, they stuck Jimmy Manoa on this card as a backup plan. In case DC <laughs> or Jones couldn't make it into the cage, Jimmy Manoa was ready to go. So Wait, hold on a only second. Reason... Wait, hold on a second, Jose. So you're telling me that this, is, this, this guy is just... Is this the contingency plan? I mean, I, we're both wrestling. Pretty fans, much. But at what point yeah. would he take this fight? Like, how how short he, if Jones... He said, he said he's ready to go because he's in camp. It's not like he's sitting on the couch and then John uh, Dana White calls him up on on Friday and says, hey, you're fighting, I'm fighting tomorrow. Like, he's in camp. He's cutting weight. He's been in his nine-week camp. So he's ready to go. And he's wow. he, he, he's the first one to say, like, I'm not banking on John Jones or DC not making it. I just have to be ready. Uh, but Vulcan Ozdemir is also a, it's a weird story. As Vulcan Ozdemir took a fight against Ovin St. Preux on short notice and won. And a fight Ovin St. Preux looked terrible. A very, very sloppy fight. No one picked o, uh, Ozdemir to win. He wins and he's undefeated. So we're, And he beat a guy that had just fought John Jones. So he basically shot himself into the top 10 of a very shallow light heavyweight division after one fight. They match him up with Misha Sturkinov, who is the number one light light heavyweight Canadian prospect who is rising up the ranks. Like people are saying, he's a future contender. He knocks him out in like 45 seconds, and Ozdemir probably lost 44 of those seconds. Was getting Misha Sturkinov was taking the fight to him, throwing bombs and landing him, and Ozdemir basically just closed his eyes, threw a haymaker, and knocked him out. So he's two and zero in the UFC, and he finds himself in the top five, and he could easily be zero and two right now, losing to. Both Ovin St. Preux and Misha Serkinov. So, uh, Jimmy Mann was in a pretty good spot where he's fighting someone that is, is in a. Since Ozdemir could be 0 2, Manowitz should easily win this. But at the same time, Ozdemir won two fights. He probably should have lost. So, this is a very bizarre fight. I think Jimmy Manowitz takes it. He looks better than ever. And then he says he either wants to fight for the title or he wants to fight David Hay, who is a boxer in, yeah. in, in a, a big boxer in London. So, this is such a weird fight, and I, but I think Jimmy Manoa. Uh, I, I think Jimmy Manoa, first round knockout. Well, now I, I want him to win just to keep you know the intrigue going. Uh, Cormier right. now doesn't know who he's going to face in the octagon. I mean, it, it basically you, you described it like he basically won the uh, WWE Money in the Bank, and he could just cash in yep. in a second. So, uh, wow. I mean, I'm look. Not everything. This has got it all. This UFC card has it all. And uh, no shortage of drama, especially in this light heavyweight match. All right, Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect, keeping it moving in UFC 214. Let's go to the lone women's match on the main card. Women's featherweight, it's Tanya Evinger against Christine Justino, known as Cyborg. 
this is what I would say is her big debut on uh, on this main card, on this scene, I should say. And facing someone in Tanya Evinger who stepped up to the plate, was ready to take this fight, has a record of 19-5-1. A couple weird fights against Yanya Kudiskaya, who we had a no contest and a win in there. But we know Cyborg, one loss. It was the first loss of her pro fighting career. She's got a no contest in there for uh, a steroid bust. But since then, utter domination Sell it to me here, Jose, in your honest opinion. Does Evinger have a chance, or is this Cyborg's fight? I mean, Evinger has a chance. She wasn't She wasn't even the original opponent. It was supposed to be Megan Anderson, who's the Invicta featherweight champion. So uh, this is for the vacant featherweight title. Cyborg finally gets to fight her natural weight class after fighting back-to-back fights at 140 catchweight, which was killing her. I mean, if you watch her video vlogs, Sick, yeah. it's, pretty difficult to wa- it's pretty difficult to watch her getting dragged out of the sauna. So this is her first fight. She looks happy. She's, she's interacting with the fans. She's smiling. And uh, she's clearly the favorite because I think she's the greatest female fighter who ever li- who's ever lived. Uh, but Tanya Evinger is coming up in weight, bantamweight, after Megan Anderson fell out. Tanya Evinger is scrappy. She's very durable. She, she's, she herself said it in media day at her scrum today. There are women that are better at her than in every aspect of MMA, but she they're not as durable and they don't have as much heart as her. So this is... Out of everyone at 135 pounds right now, I think Tanya has a pretty decent shot, but I don't think she pulls it off. This is also her UFC debut because she was the Invicta champion. Uh, she's coming up in weight. She herself says, like, Cyborg is bigger than me. She's faster than me and stronger than me, but she's never fought someone that could take a punch like me. So if she's going to rely on it, it's, if she's going to rely on her chin against Chris Cyborg, it's probably not going to be a good night for her. But I just don't see any way she can win. But you can't count. You can't count Tanya Evinger out. She's won too many matchups. She's she should have lost several of her title fights, and she's won every single one. She said she's always said that people try to use me as a stepping stone, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm the party spoiler. So if she does that again against Chris Cyborg, I, I think it's the biggest upset in women's MMA history. Uh, but I think Chris Cyborg handles it pretty easily. Well, looking at the tail of the tape uh, in the Vegas side of things, as I like to do from time to time. Avenger plus eight fifty underdog, so that'd be quite the party spoiler. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> if she wants, she, she wants, she, she loves wants. it. She doesn't want to be favored. She says, "If I ever fight, I never want to be the favorite." So she got her wish and folds this time. And what's next? I mean, Cyborg. I should even it out. Is a minus thirteen hundred favorite. So everyone is expecting her to win. What would be next for her if she wins impressively? Megan Anderson could come back. Obviously, uh, she was dealing with a personal issue. It wasn't a health issue. I, she said. Uh, she just couldn't fight right now. So if Megan Anderson is a natural featherweight, she could always fight Cyborg, rebook that fight. Or Holly Holm is out there. She said she would fight uh, the winner of this fight for the featherweight title. There's Cyborg has to win first, which I expect her to. But after that, I would expect either her versus Holly or her versus Megan, which both fights I'm very interested in. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll be on the lookout for that because Cyborg, lover or hater, is a draw and is somebody that a lot of fans are going to pay exactly. to see fight. So. All right. Now you mentioned that Lawler and Cerrone was a could be potential fight of the year. Well, there's a fight on here that might be the exact opposite of that from a from an appeal standpoint, but strategically, I'm really excited to see it. And that is maybe as excited as any fight uh, on recent pay-per-views. And that's the Walter White title fight between the champion Tyron Woodley and the challenger Damian Maya, who, as you had mentioned time and time again on this podcast is the best maybe in the world at jiu-jitsu and he's going to fight 
Woodley, a former uh, wrestler, uh, All-American at Mizzou, and a great striker as well. This is a clash of styles, to say the least, Jose. It might not be the prettiest fight, but it could be uh, quite a journey and a toss-up down to the end. What's your initial thoughts on how this one might go in the octagon? Well, I feel kind of bad for Damian Maia. He's worked so hard to get his welterweight title shot. And they kind of gave him this, they announced this fight maybe a month before this event. So he's fighting for the title, um, the shortest fight camp he's ever had. And not to mention, this is a five-round fight now. It's not like he he has a month to prepare for a three-round fight. He has one month to prepare for the best welterweight on the planet in a five-round fight after he just went three rounds at Jorge Masvidal in May. So I feel kind of bad for Damian Maia, but if anybody can pull it off, it's him. He doesn't take much damage in his fights. I think... There was a span of time where he had four straight wins where he only absorbed 11 total significant strikes. Uh, so that's, that number obviously pops out. I think he is the best jiu-jitsu practitioner in MMA, not just UFC. Um, likes, to, likes to wrap his legs around you and, and, and w- ride you like a backpack, but Tyra Woodley uh, is known to take his training to a whole other level where he would bring a very, very high caliber karate experts to prepare for Wonderboy, and he said he's bringing the best of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners to train for Damian Meyer. So if he's mm-hmm. taking that same approach he did against uh, Wonderboy, you saw how that turned out. So it uh, may not be the prettiest. I expect Tyron Woodley should win, but it seems like every time I pick against Damian Meyer, he pulls it out. And I don't pick against him because I don't think he's a good fighter. I just think other people, like, he's also not the youngest guy. He's pushing 40. Yeah. Uh, he's been in the UFC forever. I just think... Uh, at some point in your career, uh, the the the, fee- the playing field surpasses you. And I thought Gunnar Nelson could use, who is also exceptional in jiu-jitsu and a better striker than Damian Maia, could pull that off. And Damian Maia dominated him. Faces Neil Magny, who's on a seven-fight win streak, five and zero in a calendar year, has all these accolades. Damian Maia dominates him and submits him. Faces Carl Condit, one of the top five strikers in the welterweight division, submits him in maybe 90 seconds. Faces Jorge Masvidal, who's come, who came off the knockout against Aroni, and just wore him out and ground him into the ground and rode him like a backpack. So every time I pick against Damian Maia, he usually wins. But Tyron Woodley is the champ, and if there's ever a coin flip, I gotta go with the champ. Yeah, I got a couple of points I want to bring up. First, being Woodley, Jose, we know that this guy is an outspoken guy. He appears, he feels like he's slighted at times. I, I want to know your opinion on this. Do you think this is also being used as kind of a motivational tool, like he might be the athlete that needs the chip on his shoulder? It seems like this has been a, a theme. You know, he's outspoken. He feels like it's him against the world, and then he goes out and just performs. So do you think that's part of it with him? Yeah, I, I do, actually. He does fight with the chip on his shoulder. He seems to fight better with the chip on his shoulder every time. Like when he fought Robbie Lawler, everyone was asking Robbie about fighting Connor. And Tyron said he took that as a slight and went out there and knocked out Robbie Lawler in 90 seconds. Uh, he fight, fights Wonderboy. Everyone's picking Wonderboy, and he knocks him cold for two rounds. And then, yeah, he that was a draw. But if you tell me that you scored that fight for Tyron, I would not argue with you. I mean, and then whether you thought their next fight was a draw or he won too, like for every all the grief that Tyron gets for trying to call out bigger name fighters, he's always fought the next contender up next. He fought Stephen Thompson, fought him to a draw, and then rematched him right away. Yeah, he could. For, GSP is coming back. He could be fight, calling for a fight against GSP. So has to fight Damian Maia instead because he wants to keep fighting. So for all the grief that Tyron Woodley gets, he's fighting everyone they put in front of him. So I, I don't think he deserves much. a lot of the hate he gets. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think he's a straightforward fighter. It's refreshing in this era of super fights and uh, Absolutely. guys holding up weight divisions that he just keeps fighting whoever's in front of him. The last thing I want to say on this fight, I have all the respect in the world for Damian Maia and what he means to the sport, but do you see any negative effects if he wins this fight just with his style, maybe not being the prettiest and most appealing fight if he wins this and becomes a champion? Personally, no. I think I personally don't look at it that way. Damian Maia is one of the nicest human beings in the UFC. I don't know many people that have bad things to say about him, but for the casual fan, he doesn't have that appealing style. Like he's not a Robbie Lawler, he's not a Donald Cerrone, he's not a Tyron Woodley. He's he's a very good martial artist. He's a very good jujitsu practitioner, and he doesn't talk trash. He smiles. He takes pictures with everyone. He's like a he's just a nice person. He's like Demetrius Johnson, a great human being that could just destroy you in the octagon. So. The joke is the UFC doesn't want him to win the belt because they, they won't be able to market him, but I, I personally don't see it that way. But I do, I do get why people aren't a fan of his style. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you completely. I think you really have to have, take a deeper dive. I don't want to say be a bigger fan or have a greater appreciation, but just kind of take a deeper dive. There's more to him than just those, uh, those initial Yeah, fans. look at it like a sport and not a spectacle. Right, right. That's the way to look at it. Well, all right. Jose, we've reached the time to talk about the main event. <laughs> Money Mitch Effect, Jose Young's main event of UFC 214. It is the rematch we've all been waiting for, some of us longer than others. Daniel Cromier is the champion of the light heavyweight division, taking on John Jones. John Bones Jones back in the octagon. It's been a while, but we're ready for this fight. Jose Jones is back. He has one loss, but... Not really. I mean, he was DQ'd for a 12-6 elbow. Cromier has mm-hmm. one loss. It was to Jones. Jones is the pretty much overwhelming favorite going into this fight. But Cromier has been fighting arguably the best fight stretch of his career. I want to ask you this general question first. Do you think this fight can live up to the hype? I mean, there's a lot of hype into it, given the fact that these are two, as you said, maybe best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. And in the case of Jones, one of the biggest draws in just about all sports at this point. Yeah, I do think it'll live up to it. Uh, as much as UFC 200 sucks, given the fact that John Jones got popped for the anti-doping violation, it only added to the hype. I mean, that's more fuel to the fire in the trash talk. It's more stare-downs, it's more media, it's more interviews involving these two. So anytime you get these guys at a press conference or doing a radio show or any type of appearance, there are fireworks, and they're just throwing venom at each other. And it seems to calm down now because it's fight week, and they know that the trash talk is over and the only thing left is to get in there and fight. And these two legitimately hate each other. I mean, most fighters that, that build a fight like fights like this, as soon as the fight's over, they, they shake hands and they have respect. And both of them have said like, whether whoever wins this fight, we're still going to have issues. I mean, right. you saw that the last time John mm-hmm. Jones won. He goes, I don't feel bad. I hope Daniel Cormier is crying right now. So <laughs> the hype is real. Yeah. And just added to the fact that these are easily the two best light heavyweights who have ever lived, in my opinion. I think John Jones is the greatest. I think Daniel, Daniel Cormier is the second greatest. If Daniel Cormier wins, then we get a trilogy. So if John Jones wins, he is, in my opinion, the greatest UF fighter to ever step foot in the UFC octagon, and he would surpass Anderson Silva in my mind. So, But he has to do it first, maybe fight Gustin again. So there's a lot of storylines going into this. But yes, to answer your question, I can't imagine a world where this doesn't live up to the high. 
Yeah, and, and I, th- you know, I do think anytime uh, fighters off the air say they're going to kill the other ones if they're in the same room, I yep. think that probably means they hate each other. But in the case oh, of, yeah. you know, in the case of John Jones, uh, Jose, this is a guy that we've all, you know, everybody has been on board with saying this is the best in the division, maybe in all of UFC, maybe the greatest light heavyweight. But he has all these issues, and we've talked about how he's cleaning himself up. He's got his head on track. He's saying and doing, you know, relatively speaking, all the right things. But I want to ask you, is there any chance at all, whether it's age, whether it's outside forces, whether it's just ring rust or octagon rust, whatever you call it, is there any reason to think that his fight game might slip going into this fight? Yeah, I think that's a real pro- I think that is a real concern. I mean, when he fought Ovin St. Pru at UFC 197, he did not look like the John Jones everyone knew. Uh, a lot of people pointed to the fact that when he was under suspension, he got really into powerlifting, uh, and he bulked up a lot, which may have slowed, his, slowed him down and affected his cardio. Other people pointed to the fact that Ovin St. Pru was a southpaw, and he's very unorthodox in his, in his striking, which John Jones was preparing for Daniel Cormier at UFC 197, and then when Cormier got hurt, he accepted the fight against Ovin St. Pru on short notice, so... It's, it, and there are such polar opposites and styles that John Jones had to change his camp drastically at the last minute. But at John Jones did not look like the John Jones that was dominating the light heavyweight division. If that John Jones shows up against Daniel Cormier, he's going to have a long night. So whether that's ring rust or the fact that his new opponent change led to, played a major factor, I think there is a legitimate concern that John Jones just does the, a different John Jones than we're used to shows up. And you mentioned Cormier, how, how dominant he's been. You know, he's not... Uh, <laughs> it's funny. We see a lot of these fighters on this card. They're not spring chickens. Cormier is 38 years old, but he's been fighting phenomenally. And, and again, on the lines of Maya, it's not the prettiest style. This is a, a Greco-Roman wrestler who went to the Olympics. He's got that pedigree. He just controls the octagon. He gets you and he puts you up against that cage and, and just controls the action. But he had trouble against Jones, as all fighters do. What can he do differently in this fight to have success? Well, he said that he was he brought too much emotion into the first fight, and that played that played against him. And he was waiting on Jones to make mistakes, and Jones doesn't normally make mistakes, if ever. So if there's no mistakes for you to capitalize on, you're going to have a long night. He said when Jones would push him into the fence, he didn't really fight back. He kind of leaned against the fence with it to use Jones's force to to try and use Jones's leverage against him didn't really work out. So he said he changed his whole camp up. He said he's bringing his, he's clearing his mind when he's entering the cage. And whether that's true or not, we'll see on Saturday. But I, he said he looks, he looks to be like aesthetically, he looks to be in the best shape of his life. So he passes the eye test. His interviews have been great. He seems to have a better uh, mindset going into this. He is the champion this time, so he'll he'll come out second. So with John Jones showing putting out a performance like he did against Ovin St. Pru and Cormier looking better than ever, both in and out of the octagon. I think this fight should be better than their first one. All right. Well, looking at it, Daniel Cormier, light heavyweight champion, four-fight win streak, plus 230 underdog. Jones minus 250 favorites. So if you want a motivational tactic, there it is right there. A lot of people on the Jones train, and uh, we'll see how the odds shift before the fight. But all right, Jose, I need a winner. How does this fight go down? I think John Jones wins. I've been looking at this for a long time. I love Daniel Cormier. I think he's a great person. He's a great fighter. He's everything you want in a champion. I just don't. I can't think of a way Daniel Cormier can beat John Jones. John Jones is a freak of nature. 
both in and out of the octagon when it comes to his athleticism. If he hadn't messed up so much the last few years, he could already have be the greatest fighter who's ever lived. So I just don't know how Daniel Cormier beats him, especially like John Jones says. Daniel Cormier is like pushing 40, and John Jones is still in his physical prime. Uh, he's tall. He's more athletic. He's been doing it longer. He's shown more tools in the octagon. I think what John Jones said is accurate where Daniel Cormier can beat the 3 through 15 10 out of 10 times in, in the rankings but he will never beat John Jones. I think Daniel Cormier would be stuck at number two forever, which I, I'm not going to say it's a shame because losing to John Jones, like what's the shame in that everyone loses to John Jones? But yes, there's emotions, but I think John Jones wins, cements himself as the greatest fighter of all time. That's I'll great, say by decision. That's a great quote. That is what that is. I, I, I'm with you as well. It's going to be tough for Jones to knock him out, to submit him, but... Yeah, I think this is Jones's peak and, and Jones on track. I mean, this was a guy who admitted to getting blackout drunk a week before every single fight, and he dominated. Exactly. And he dominated. And so. he's not like that now, so you got to wonder what, what type of John Jones is going to show up now that he's not partaking in those extracurricular activities. Yeah, one can only imagine the sheer terror that that could reign uh, in the octagon. And legacy-wise, I mean, what goes on forward for these two fighters, I should say, you're in the belief that Cormier might be, and I think it's a popular opinion given his age, he might be retiring soon. I think if he we'll wins, see. they'll do a trilogy. He did have an interaction with Jimmy Manoa after he submitted Anthony Johnson. He walked over to Jimmy, who was their cage side, and Daniel said, you don't want any of this, Jimmy, you bum. Uh, so the, the, the seed is planted for a potential matchup against Jimmy Manoa if, if Jimmy Manoa does get past Vulcan uh, Ozdemir. But who knows? Daniel is a family man. He's pushing 40, so... Whether he wants to stick around or not is is on him, but he's already put himself as one of the greatest fighters of all time. And if he beats Jones on Saturday and then beats him again in the trilogy, it's he'll be in in the top five for sure. Yeah, who knows, Manuel uh, Cormier could happen Sunday. <laughs> I wouldn't know. mind it. Yeah, uh, and then Jones. I got to bring this up. We gotta we gotta sift through what's real, what's fake, what's rumor, and what's not. Jones Lesnar, uh, Brock Lesnar, gonna oh, come back God. to the octagon. Yeah. It's 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 getting news and. Look, I, I don't know how real this is. I'll let you explain whether or not it's a possibility. But tell me somebody that wouldn't watch that. Oh, that'll be one of the most bought. Like anytime Brock Lesnar fights, people tune in. If he's going to fight a fighter of John yeah. Jones' caliber, yeah, that'll somebody, do a million pay-per-view buys. Dana easily. White just fainted. we got to wake him up because he just sees dollar signs in that. Oh, without a doubt. I think that's one of the biggest fights in U.S. history. I don't think it's going to happen because, A, Brock Lesnar is not in the USADA drug testing pool, which he has to be. You have to go six months if you're coming out of retirement. B, his suspension was frozen because he retired. So since he failed the drug test against Mark Hunt, it's not like his suspension is still going even though he's retired. Like, it's frozen. If Brock Lesnar has to come out of retirement, he's still suspended because the suspension picks back up. He's currently contracted to fight, to fight, to wrestle in the WWE <laughs> To, to wrestle the next yeah. WrestleMania. If Lesnar is going to fight, say, in the fall, most people would point to the MSG show in November. That is the WWE Survivor Series, which he is contractually obligated to wrestle at because that is one of the big four. He can't do New Year's Eve because that would get in the way of the Royal Rumble. And then he can't do the Super Bowl weekend or the May card because that, or the, the uh, Memorial Day card because that would get in the way of WrestleMania. So if Brock Lesnar is coming back, don't expect him back until, I would say, fall 2018 because, A, still suspended, and, B, his WWE schedule 
is completely filled up until at least WrestleMania. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think uh, it's fun to just it's fun to just think that this. Oh, it's great! Just, it's a, it'd be a great fight, and I don't think you need a title in that fight. Just put that on the main card of pay for people tune in. That's one of the few fights you can make where there's no title on the line, and people would still be interested. But sadly enough, I don't think it's going to happen. We'll see. I mean, uh, I, I like to hold out hope, but yeah, I'm. I'm in your camp. I don't think that. And both of them want it. John Jones said he wants to fight Brock Lesnar, and Brock Lesnar, his exact quote was, anytime, anywhere. So <laughs> if they're serious and Dana White wants, loves making money, then we'll see. Maybe. Crazier, Floyd Mayweather is going to fight Conor McGregor next month. So who knows? Yeah, maybe they can do it on uh, Lesnar's farmland in Canada. You know, they could just oh, put gosh, it out, yeah. out there. I do have to say one last thing. Jose Youngs, thanks for joining the show. Sure. The Money Mitch Effect talking UFC 214, but I have to say I know you're a big pro wrestling guy. I have to bring up one name that's caught my eye. Uh, I'm not the biggest pro wrestling fan. I had an era where I was, but I need you to tell me why this guy is as awesome as he looks, and that Shinsuke Nakamura. I'm a big fan. I've been watching Shinsuke a lot of Nakamura. stuff. Shinsuke Nakamura. Shinsuke Nakamura is one of the top three to four best wrestlers on the planet. He was a wrestler in New Japan. He was one of the three horsemen with Tanahashi, Nakamura, and Shibata. Uh, and they were very young. They all came up together. And they put New Japan on the map with their very hard-hitting style of wrestling, where they would legitimately hit each other and drop each other on their heads. And they were uh, no, they had no fear, and they would do everything they could to put on an entertaining fight, whether it was 50 people or 50,000. Nakamura did every he accomplished everything he could accomplish in Japan, and he was you could make an argument his last year in, last year in New Japan he was the best wrestler alive, but he wanted a new challenge and joined the WWE, and he, in my opinion, is the best wrestler in the WWE, and I wish he was being used Whoa. better. Uh, he he's learning English, he's very charismatic, the fans love him. He was so good in Japan that all the people that loved him in Japan followed him to the WWE. Yet he had one of those crossover appeals, and he is such a unique character that I think he could be one of the greats who have ever stepped in the WWE ring. I just wish Vince McMahon would book him better. Well, it all comes back to blaming Vince, though. I love it. I feel like it's right where hey, I left if every, if Vince is If Vince is going to micromanage that promotion that much, everything has to go back to him. Yeah, I'm. I'm just a fan. I mean, look, I, I keep tabs on wrestling. There's a few guys I like. I mean, Daniel Bryan was was I was a huge fan of his. It's a shame he's not wrestling anymore. Uh, and even back to CM Punk and a few guys before that. But I, I like some of the signings they've made. And Nakamura, I knew nothing about him, but I saw the I saw is, the Money in the Bank match. It was incredible. Him and AJ Styles would put on exceptional matches in New Japan before AJ Styles joined the WWE. Before joined the WWE. They were both in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they would put on some of the best wrestling in terms of just straight-up wrestling. No storyline, none of that frilly stuff, just two guys in a ring doing crazy athletic moves. Those two did it better than anyone. And the fact that they're both in the WWE makes me so happy, and if they wrestle at WrestleMania, buckle up. All right. Well, I'm going to do just that. I, I want it to happen. Styles Nakamura, a... Uh... A, uh, a little bit. That of, is the best wrestling match they could do. It is. It, it's. I, I'm not going to argue with that. But all right, Jose Youngs, this was fun. UFC 214 this Saturday. I know we're both going to be watching. You're going to be there, so I'm going to be a little jealous of you getting to getting to see the fights. But thanks again <laughs> for coming on the show, and uh, good luck with everything. Always, man. Thanks for having me.
All right, thanks again to Jose Youngs for coming on this week's show. And if I could just have a moment of your time, Dr. Dre, stop the tape. You know what I mean. But we're going to talk about the Kyrie Irving situation right now. I've been out of the country, went to St. Bart's, you know, no big deal there. Just had to get some fun in the sun and unwind a little bit. But uh, the biggest story, other than the great baseball action and some other, you know, stories in the sports world. But the biggest story in the sports world has been Kyrie Irving demanding a trade from the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's a little interesting that a guy at 25 years old who's one of the best players in the game, definitely a top 15, top 10 talent, would want out of a situation that's gotten into three straight finals and a championship. But, look, I don't know what's in his head, and I don't know what's in Dan Gilbert's head or certainly LeBron's head. Could be a lot of things going on there. But uh, I'm not going to cast the first stone, so to speak, and I'll tell you why. Everyone wants to compare Kyrie to Kobe for that Mamba mentality, but the biggest thing that I see with Kyrie Irving is a guy that just wants a change of scenery and he wants a fresh start. And regardless of what you think about Kyrie Irving and this specific demand, this is the current NBA landscape. It's players holding the power, wanting to be in charge of their own situation. And quite frankly, I think it's easy to see why, even if you don't agree with it, it's easy to see why he's doing it. LeBron James is not guaranteed to be there past one more year. The Warriors are in a great position. LeBron is the type of player and person, right or wrong, mind you, that would do what's best in his best interest, worry about his brand, and try to get to the best situation to win, regardless of where he's from or how many Nike commercials they run or how many coming home videos that they run as a tribute to him. He's going to do what's best for him, and, and that's his choice. He has every right to do so, just like Kevin Durant, just like all these other players. So... Kyrie Irving's sitting there thinking, I don't want to be left in Cleveland where he's had a lot of bad success before LeBron got there. A couple of different coaches, a lot of dysfunction, top down, that's for sure. And he's thinking, I want to be in charge of my own situation. I don't want to be left in Cleveland, if, even if I am the best player on the team, with a team that was designed to appease LeBron, which is understandable as well. So I understand where he's coming from. I understand trying to get ahead of the curb. It takes a lot, though, to sacrifice. Some will call it stupidity. Some will call it optimism and confidence. It's just in the eye of the beholder, I guess. But to move on from a team that is a surefire bet to get to the finals as long as LeBron's there. But Kyrie wants his own team. He wants to be his own man. He wants to lead the charge. And we could call him foolish. And really, there's not a whole lot of arguing in in the context of describing him as somewhat short-sighted in this regard. But, hey, a lot of geniuses were called foolish. A lot of people that took chances were called stupid along the way. So I would just say call them stupid at your own peril. And I would also say this is the culmination of what we've seen in basketball. Guys will take their own route. They will do it. And a lot of it comes back to LeBron. So it can't all be good. That, that's, I guess, the moral of my story here is LeBron decided he wants to have all the power. Short-term contracts. I can go and. I could come and go as I please. Well, the downside to that, and there isn't much, but the downside is you're not going to get commitments from other stars blindly. Eventually, guys are going to start saying, hey, I got to get out and look out for number one myself. So it's no different than you know a potential employee looking out for themselves. You like the fact that LeBron's there, but he's not going to be there forever. He is 32 years old going on 33, so there is no guarantee that he'll be in Cleveland and he'll be dominant for long. And, and that Cavs roster is going to be by the wayside uh, in a few years unless they decide to retool they have one tradable asset in cleveland his name is kyrie irving they could flip him if possible to get a lot of players and try to rebuild for the future might be punting on the short term might be pushing lebron out the door officially 
in 2018, but hey, sometimes you got to make those tough decisions. It all comes back to me that this is all about the Warriors. This whole offseason is about how dominant they are and how dominant they're going to look for the next couple of years. Teams are just doing outrageous things to try to keep up. It's an arms race, and uh, you know players are getting in on that arms race as well. Well, that's going to do it for the Money Mitch Effect. I thank everyone out there for listening. A reminder that you can catch every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just type in Money Mitch Effect. It'll pop right up. we got a couple shows for you next week. Thanks for sticking by me as we, you know, as I come back from vacation. It was the longest drought since I started this podcast at about nine days or so, eight or nine, ten days or so. So I want to thank you for sticking with me there. Follow me at Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. A lot to go on in the summer. Training camp starting in the NFL, so what's not to love about that? Football is coming up. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. You have yourself a good weekend, and remember, enjoy it. Enjoy sports.